politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minimans standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, our liberty, and our property, and the issues that actually matter to our lives. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today from South Florida, sunny and hot as always. Um, We are still on vacation, but I will never leave you guys alone for that long, so we're kind of doing one day on, one day off here, Friday August 26th, Um, you guys are kind of like my family, so, you know, I take a family vacation, but, you know, some of the time we're going to spend together, it's interesting, I'm just thinking how ignorance is bliss, you know, I've been pretty much out of the news all week, um, just following things very, very much from afar, and it really is true how, you know, if it doesn't directly affect you and you don't know about it, you won't get mad about it. (laughs) Until eventually it does affect you. And that's kind of uh, emblematic of all of our lives here. You wouldn't know if in a country of 330 million, yeah, several hundred thousand are just dropping dead and several million are severely injured from a shot. Well, if it's not you, you wouldn't know it. And sometimes even if it is, you wouldn't know the cause of it. And that's where we are, how nothing has really changed since before I went on vacation Republicans are focused on the traditional kind of fiscal issues of, oh, they're going to forgive the student loan debt, which certainly is horrible, but they're not even expressing the main problem with it because if they did, they would realize that it's because of the subsidies in education that Republicans supported the Pell Grants and all that stuff just as much as the Democrats, and then now they complain about the results of it. But still, we don't talk about the 800-pound gorilla in the room That people are dropping dead from democide, government-sponsored genocide. Oh, COVID's over. Ha, ha, ha. CDC's running away. Fauci's running away with his tail between his legs. Not really. They, if you've noticed, they have not changed the rules concerning the military, healthcare workers, uh, foreign nationals. This is why Novak Djokovic can't uh, participate in the U.S. Open, which, by the way, is being sponsored by Moderna. So nothing has changed in that respect. And now... They're blaming it on Trump because Trump took all the credit for it. But even as they kind of say, yeah, you know, there's problems with the vaccine, they're still mandating it, still distributing it, still coming out in the next few weeks with a new one. And then in the coming months and years, all sorts of other vaccines down the pipeline. So once again, I cannot think of a more important issue than government-sponsored genocide in medicine where every kid now is going to, you know, that's born, the few that are, gets jed with all sorts of stuff that's problematic. And yet that's the issue for which there's the least focused on. No one's focusing on it. Not in the way that matters. So we're going to visit this today a little bit more with Dr. Ryan Cole. Uh, we haven't had him on in a while. The latest state of play, state of play with COVID, the vaccine, the treatments. We'll talk a little bit monkeypox if we have time, cancer, all sorts of stuff. I would say good stuff, but <laughs> it's it's pretty, pretty dire. Now, our sponsor today, very appropriately, is Patriot Academy. Kind of like with politics, conservatives like to align themselves intellectually as conservative, but they don't live the lives of a conservative and act conservative and fight for it. 
Same thing, we're all for Second Amendment. We're pro-gun. How many of us actually know how to properly shoot, properly draw from a holster? That's why I want you guys to go to patriotacademy.com slash Daniel, where you could sign up for our, our next defensive handgun constitutional training, where we study the Constitution at night, shoot on the range all day, September 25th to 29th, or October 2nd to 6th at the NRA Winnington Center in Northeast New Mexico. Beautiful country, beautiful time of year, and beautiful company of fellow patriots instructed by Rick Green, America's Constitution coach. We have the best instructors there on the line. It is so much fun. You know, I actually learned not just how to shoot better, but how to be a better instructor. So it was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun last night. Uh, we're here at my sister's house, and she offered to watch all the kids in the evening so we could actually get out, which we never do. <clears throat> and in Maryland, we have stupid ranges that close at 6 o'clock at night, so obviously, you know, we have to put the kids to bed. So my wife hasn't shot for years. And I always struggle teaching her how to not drop the shot, anticipate the recoil. I, I know how to do it, but I don't know how to give that over. And I was so happy last night. I gave it over to her how to shoot off the reset, how to feel where the reset is, not to let your finger fly off. And she got perfect shots, um, follow-up shots. I was really proud of myself. But that's all because of Patriot Academy. Um, don't just support the Second Amendment. Actually learn how to defend yourself and shoot properly and have a really good time, too, as well. So, again, patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. So, folks, this is really dire. I've been warning you guys since last year that we likely suffered several hundred thousand deaths in the United States as a result of the shot. Ethical skeptic, he's been one of our analysts from day one, looking over the CDC weekly death surveillance reports. And he came out with an unbelievable revelation shows that we were right on the money. He shows that 349,000 younger Americans died between April 2021 and August 13th, 2022, of an unknown factor that can't be explained by anything else. Okay? That weekly, it adds up to a 5-plus sigma event cancer is at a nine plus sigma high what else could explain that okay what else could explain that you go over to Scot uh where is it scotland yeah <clears throat> among scotland's elderly seven out of the ten eldest age groups okay so it's basically do, 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 four, five, six, seven. Basically, it's tranches of five age groups, five years at a time. So basically, people 65 years and up are experiencing their worst mortality year ever. Not in 2020 or 2021, <clears throat> but in 2022. Okay? Why? Why is that occurring? Again, we could talk about student loans, and there's a lot to, to say about that. But this is killing people. 
And then this is from Nick Nick Beller at Daily Skeptic. <clears throat> the Office Office of National Statistics is from the UK. If you look at their data, you're going to come out with a vaccine f- uh, f- a fatality rate in those over 75 of up to one in every 275 doses worth. Now, he notes that this acceleration took place over the last you know, number of months, basically since late March, when they started giving fourth doses to those over 75 in the UK. And over 80% have gotten four doses. Now, I don't know if the US is quite as high in fourth doses, but it's still, it's, it's, it's a lot. I mean, you look at seniors, and I certainly see those that I know, there's almost none that I know that don't have at least three. Okay, it's, it's pretty ubiquitous. During the period from week 12 to week 32, so it's basically March 25th to August 12th, approximately 4.4 million spring booster doses have been administered, which on that metric would work out to 4,750 4, excess deaths in that age group. There's been a total of around 16,200 deaths in the over 75 cohort during that same period, equating to one excess death per 275 doses administered. That's that's utterly insane. Okay? I mean, that's like, you're talking about 0.275% death rate. You know, basically a quarter, like a quarter of 1%. Okay, again, in the U.S., there's been, and, and, and that's, that's doses. Remember, a lot of people have gotten multiple doses, but they're tracking like the fourth dose. Now, that's going to be worse because it's dose-dependent. Those are people that already had three doses of the magic juice spike protein in their body. So you have this many people dying. Again, if you look at those numbers, it's very easy to understand why you can get to about 350,000 deaths in the U.S., Okay, and then you have the Pfizer pill. This is from the Daily Beast. Paxlovid COVID pills have no benefit for adults 40 to 65. Well, no kidding, no benefit. Actually, it's negative benefit. Joe Biden, just like Joe Biden, just like Anthony Fauci, got the rebound, the great fat rebound. So it's beautiful. The more you inject, the more you infect, the more you take, take Paxlovid, the more it rebounds you so you get more Paxlovid. Perfect business model. You know, again, it's insane how we're subsidizing uh, people that stupidly take out too many college loans and um, more importantly, the education cartel so they can go in turn and um, raise tuition even more knowing the government's going to come in and bail it out just like we do in the healthcare uh, profession. But how come no Republican like Mitch McConnell or anyone is up in arms that we are funding a genocidal product, two products that don't work and kill people? I mean, I don't know how many Paxlovid kills people yet, but certainly we have no long-term safety on that, and it certainly doesn't work. And we're pumping billions. I mean, the current, the upcoming budget bill, not only will Republicans, you know, withhold their support 
for you know giving 60 votes in the Senate for the bill that will fund all of COVID fascism, they're going to keep funding Pfizer, which is the wealthiest company around. When openly it doesn't work. This is the stage we're at. We all kind of know, I mean, when I say we, you and I certainly know this, but I'm saying even the general public, yeah, it doesn't work, uh, there's problems, but the policies aren't changing. And Republicans and conservative talkers don't even, still don't even focus on this. Email me, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. I mean, I won't be back up to speed till, till really Tuesday or Wednesday. Takes two days to get back, but... I want to know what you think. Why is it that they only get jazzed up about kind of the issues they were excited about 30 years ago, but not the biggest issue of all? And then it's not even like this is over with. This is from NBC News. Pfizer says its RSV vaccine protects against severe illness in older adults. Where have we seen this? So remember we talked about that Moderna is going to have a triple Combo mRNA, flu, corona, RSV shot. Pfizer is now following that. They're in a phase three trial. They're going to come out with this. This is a big deal. We, we've done shows on this before. The RSV virus is probably the worst candidate for a vaccine ever. This is why they tried and failed in the 60s, and they haven't succeeded ever since until they came up with the Great Reset, where we could just basically openly engage in genocide. Oh, it's unsafe and ineffective? Exactly. That's why we're actually going to use it, market it, subsidize it, and mandate it. This is an industry. Everyone thinks, oh, ha, 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 Fauci's been repudiated. CDC is, is running out with their tail between the legs. No. If you watch carefully, the policies haven't changed and they're just accelerating them. Why don't we care about this? But I want to I bring in our guest to explore more deeply what's going on with vaccine injury, how, how to diagnose it, what sort of tests we need to take uh, to get to the bottom of what exactly is causing all these deaths, how to get ahead of it. Today's interview is sponsored by Better Spectacles. While I give you a 2020 vision on politics, Better Spectacles gives you a 2020 vision with your eyesight. A lot of us can never find glasses that that really work with our brain. Yes, your eyesight is supposed to synergize with your brain, not in a transhuman way, but in, in a human way. Better Spectacles is, is really America's only conservative eyewear company. So keep that in mind um, when we're trying to push for parallel economies. They import authentic German Rodenstock eyewear. That is the gold standard in the eyewear industry. Particularly what they're selling now are big biometric intelligence glasses, which gives you a seamlessly natural experience that works perfectly with your brain, gives you the sharpest vision at all distances, especially for people like me who are nearsighted. I'm loving my big glasses from Better Spectacles. Um, My wife and my oldest son, who wears glasses now, also has um, Better Spectacles as well. So go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment today so you don't even have to leave your home. By the way, most doctor's offices still require masks, at least where I live. So this way you could bypass that. Um, and then you could order your frames and lenses online, 61% off their progressive eyewear, plus free handcrafted rodent stock frames. 
Great eyeglasses change vision. They change lives. Go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative today. So those of you here in our CR podcast family don't really need much of an introduction to Dr. Ryan Cole. He was one of our first frontline doctors we had on, gosh, ages ago. And it's it's scary thinking about the fact that I had him on, oh my gosh, I mean, what, 350,000 COVID vaccine deaths ago in the U.S., millions of vaccines ago, uh, deaths ago in the world. How much life could have been preserved if people just would have listened to those who are saying, hey, we're seeing some problems with that spike protein. We're seeing, we're starting to see cancers. Hey, I'm a pathologist, and you know, we kind of know how to forensically investigate why people die. Have you guys ever thought of the fact that it's pretty extraordinary how we were we are in about a year and a half into um, the greatest experiment on humanity of all time, something that was given to over five billion people, and then we have um, hundreds of blaring and glaring safety signals of people dropping dead, getting injured left and right, and there's still no effort that I know of in any government to do some sleuthing, like, hey, some autopsies, some diagnostics. Um, what's causing all these deaths? It's kind of interesting. So with us today is none other than Dr. Ryan Cole to discuss this and so much more related to biomedical fascism. Dr. Cole, thanks so much for accommodating our off-season schedule here and joining us so early today at Blaze Media. Thank you, Daniel. It's always a pleasure to be with you, and I hope you're enjoying your uh, downtime traveling with the family, even though it sounds like you can't keep away from it like none of us <laughs> us can. Well, how can we? I mean, this is this is the thing. So, you know, why don't I start with – maybe we'll work a little bit backwards today. I, I said over from Ethical Skeptic, uh, one of our analysts took a look at the CDC weekly death data. And he came out with roughly 349,000 unexplained deaths, which is about what what um, uh, uh, Spiro Pantazatos, the Columbia University professor, estimated the last time I spoke with him in terms of vaccine deaths just in the U.S. alone, and a nine-sigma increase in cancers and on their cancer surveillance. You are the first person I knew to raise the alarm bells about the increase in cancers, which at the time was very novel to people. We kind of understood the blood clotting, the the heart ailments. What have you discovered in terms of cancers recently? Well, they continue to be increased across multiple categories. I got criticized early on because of the the sigma increase that I, I claimed at first, and that normalized, came down, but it still increased. And data hounds, like Ethical Skeptic, obviously are confirming what I knew all along. And the immune system being suppressed by these shots, and again, it's a dose-dependent poisoning. You get one, you know, you may be okay. You get two, three, four. The more you get, the worse it gets in terms of suppressing your immune response. And what most people don't understand they think, oh, cancer is a mutated cell. Well, we have those in our body all the time. What's critically important is to have a robust, innate T-cell immune system and dendritic cell and, 
and macrophage to be able to say, hey, that's an atypical cell. We can attack it. We can fight it. We'll kill it. But with these shots, we're continuing to see this very unfortunate inability of the immune system to keep these bad things in check. So we're still seeing a rise. uh, Lymphomas, there's another really good graph by another researcher uh, based on governmental databases showing increases in lymphoma and leukemia. We're also seeing solid tissue, solid organ cancers increasing. And what's, I think, most concerning, Daniel, is that these are in young age groups, age groups where we normally don't see certain types of cancer. And that's because so many people have acquiesced to an experimental gene shot that is altering our immune system in so many ways. And it's not just the T cells. It's destroying our mitochondria. It is causing microclots, and cancer likes to grow in an oxygen-poor environment. Mm. It's binding, binding to tumor suppressor genes that would normally regulate the ability of the immune system to fight cancer. So it's acting at a genetic level. It's, it's getting into cells and inhibiting the ability. Uh, our DNA has little breaks and clips every day, and we've got these little mechanisms that zip it back together. Well, it's inhibiting those mechanisms as well. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. The little microRNA, so short segment of, of mRNA, uh, and that's what's happening in impure shots. The body's not just getting this sequence to make your body make this spike. You're, you're also getting incomplete fragments of RNA, which we know microRNAs are also contributory to cancer. So we're seeing so many very logical, explicable mechanisms. And it's like this perfect storm of all these mechanisms and the body doesn't know what to do. And then we're getting patients that had cancer-free survival of five plus years and overnight the cancer is back uh, like a wildfire. And then there's stage four disease and passing very quickly. I was uh, speaking to a nurse out of a large hospital uh, here in North America, a large cancer center, and she's been tracking the data and just quietly feeding me what she's seeing. And the number of cancers she's seeing is certainly up, but her biggest concern, like chairs of oncology that have reached out to me, radiation oncologists, radiologists, their biggest concern, it's in the younger patient cohorts, 20 to 40. Normally you think of cancer being generally a disease of the elderly, but we're seeing it in these younger age groups, and there's a very simple reason for that. The younger and healthier we are, the more metabolically active our body is. Our cells are are turning over at a quicker rate. So when something goes badly, it goes badly more quickly in a young, healthy patient cohort. Wow, that's that's fascinating. I mean, obviously, we've seen the excess deaths in all age groups, but it was the most jarring among younger. And you're saying the younger you are, um, you know, you have good good, uh, stuff in your body. Well, it will, the cells will, uh, get those around the body as quickly as possible, quicker than older people. But if you introduce poison to the body, well, it will more efficiently distribute that throughout the body. So what I'm hearing from you is multiple mechanisms, not just shutting off the anti-cancer genes and the T-cells, but that the actual mRNA is a problem, that some of the same mechanisms behind the blood clotting, the oxygenation, I found that find that fascinating because um, – you know, we, we've talked before about hyperbaric oxygen chambers uh, helping for cancer because cancer doesn't like o- oxygen. So this all makes a lot of sense. 
Are, so are you seeing people just drop dead within a few weeks from cancer? Uh, me personally, no. I've seen some very aggressive ones under the microscope. Unfortunately, I don't follow them in the clinic. I just mm. get their tissues. Uh, so by report, however, yes. By report, I, I, I'm hearing of patients cancer-free, just fine, and then in four weeks, they have disease everywhere. In six weeks, eight weeks, they're gone. Eight weeks, they're gone. Yeah, I mean, I've seen all these reports. So here's here's the biggest problem. Right now, it's in mainstream news that people are just dying unexplained. I mean, that's all over the place. No one's even denying that at this point. But the culprit is always the hard thing to diagnose because – you know, they'll say it's global warming, it's who knows what, or they just won't say anything and people won't think about it. Um, I always thought forensically, I know this from criminal trials, I mean, we have ways of trying to prove what caused death. So is there anyone in your field of pathology that you know in any country ever since those Germans tried to to uh, embark on this who have at least attempted to take a random hundred people that died suddenly and try to look at the mechanism. So could you talk a little bit about what you have done personally and what you think if you are made, I don't know, the surgeon general of the country overnight, what sort of tests would you order and what sort of pathology would you look for? This would be a very, very simple study to do. And in fact, I'm going to meet with those German pathologists and a couple other brave pathologists from a couple more countries in Europe in the near future. I'll be traveling uh, to visit with them. And we're going to be putting together the protocols and, and studies that should absolutely be done and make sure all the health agencies around the world know it because it's doable. So if I took a thousand patients that passed away unexpectedly, I could basically say, okay, let's find a cohort that was not jabbed, cohort that was the number that they received because those are in their records. And then the cancer uh, we can easily look at and or the tissues, be it you know, a cardiac death, be it a stroke, et cetera, in pathology for eons, decades and decades and decades, we've had the ability to take a protein, an antibody against a protein. And then we put a little tag on it that makes it glow or makes it a different color when we look at it through the microscope. This is called immunohistochemistry. And there's another technique called immunofluorescence. We've done this for eons. And so these little antibodies will be very specific to a protein. So if we're looking for the deposition in the tissue of a spike protein, we can tag that spike protein and find where it is in the blood vessel wall, within certain organ cells, within certain tumor cells, easily, easily done. Now, it's not cheap to do this. It's, it's reasonably expensive. These reagents cost a reasonable amount of money. But with the billions that NIH throws at other things, <laughs> they, could put, they could put a teeny amount aside for multiple forensic pathologists, surgical pathologists like me, to say, hey, you know, the next 20 cancers that you see next week, we would like all these 10 labs, 20 labs, 30 labs, whatever, to stain every single tumor with this series of immunohistochemical stains. And we can also stain for the nucleocapsid. So we can tell, well, 
was this patient infected with whole virus because you have the nucleocapsid and the spike present, or was it just spike? Was it vaccine-related? And then you can look at the pattern under the microscope, the organs that have deposition of that protein, and you can look at the inflammatory patterns because where that spike lands, obviously you get a rip-roaring inflammatory response. And then you can say, here's the smoking gun. Gosh, this heart has a bunch of spike protein in it. And it also has all these T cells attacking the heart cells. So it is such a very simple thing to do. Obviously, early on, Fauci said, don't do autopsies. And I was, I was speaking with a pathologist the other day at another meeting where I was traveling. And they said, all the pathologists in my country are absolutely afraid to walk into a morgue for a COVID death. They've, they've had this fear instilled in them, which is absolutely insane because from a dead body, you are not going to acquire live viable virus. Um, that sounds and, like and the Middle Ages. The, oh, it, it is. It, it, it's so draconian and, and so uh, fear-based. It, it's illogical in the realms of science. You could go in in a moon suit and do the autopsy, for heaven's sakes. There are certain autopsies where in years past and all my training and all the autopsies I've done where, okay, this is a potentially infectious patient. We're going to universal use universal precautions, which we always do anyway, but even more so. So you you don't have to go in there and fear. And here's the other silly thing. Okay. So most of these pathologists in these woke universities, they've been, you know, double, triple jab themselves. And They've had COVID as well. So logic would dictate if they understood their immune system at all, they would at least assume they're immune. Now we know, you know, if you're double and triple jabbed, you still get COVID. So that's not the case. But but still, the fear should have gone away a long time ago if all these claims that they make about, you know, the shots and and whatnot, whereas we know the the those are COVID recovered and not had jabs, are broadly immune. So there's no reason for their fear. They should go into that autopsy suite, do their darn job, do those very simple studies, and we would have a database in one or two weeks nationally, internationally, that would say, well, gosh, I'll be darned. Look how many of these deaths are related to the spike protein. Very simple to do. Now, to the credit of the NIH, there a couple of months back, there was a study that looked how widespread was the spike protein. So NIH did one small uh, cohort series, 30-ish autopsies. And then there was another one recently that showed basically the, the virus was everywhere. But you know what they failed to do in these studies, which I think is pretty sneaky, is they don't talk about the vaccination status of these individuals. And and why? Oh, so they well, say there's a lot of spike protein floating around. Are, and you right. could think, oh, well, you know, they had COVID. Right. But they don't, they don't tease out, was the patient, you know, single, double, triple, quadruple jabbed. They don't tease that out in those studies because they don't want to know. So are you, are you saying that it's not just the heart attacks and strokes that you could trace back? You, you know, you have a guy, you know, a 35-year-old suddenly drops um, like we're seeing all too often all over the world, you could do an autopsy, identify the spike protein or something else as part of the vaccine as as, uh, potentially the cause of death. You're saying you could identify cancers resulting from that? Yeah, because again, that spike protein is going to bind to certain cancer 
tumor suppressor genes like P53. It's a family of tumor suppressor genes we call the guardian of the genome. And you could see, yeah, you could co-stain those cells. Well, gosh, in this tumor is P53 readily visible with those protein stains. And you could also co-stain with a different color stain where the P53 is upregulated. Are those cells housing spike protein? Absolutely. And then you can also, you know, those toll-like receptors that you and I have discussed before, you can stain for those as well. There's so many cell surface proteins on cells, we can say, well, gosh, isn't this an interesting pattern in this breast cancer? Toll-like receptor number three is downregulated, which we know leads to a very aggressive, um, what we call triple negative breast cancer. Or, for example, the recent American Heart Association paper that came out, the spike protein can get into cardiac cells without an ACE2 receptor being present. And again, we can stain for those ACE2 receptors as well. But in, in this study, they showed the spike protein gets into the myocytes through a toll-like receptor number four pathway. So you can stain for toll-like receptor number four in those heart cells in this heart attack or acute myopericarditis in this patient. Look for the toll-like receptor number four and the spike protein. So the, there are so many just simple little studies that pathologists could do. Okay, look for spike plus this protein, this protein, this protein, this protein, or spike plus just one other protein. So there's so many just algorithms one could do, and we could establish very quickly, hey, here's certain patterns. Then the other thing that would be very easy to do, well, a little more expensive to do, now you could go back and look, what are the genetic predispositions within the population for those who died with these heart attacks or strokes mm. or cancers? Is there something that the spike is targeting in certain genetic cohorts in our population compared to other cohorts? So this is basic science. This is what we should be doing. We shouldn't be doing political science. We should be doing medical science. And medical science has the tools to do very basic things and the fact that we're not, and there are, again, billions upon billions yep. being, you know, thrown, you know, sadly, you know, Fauci's leaving and he's left a little part of himself in the hearts of most <laughs> of the world in a bad way. Yeah, for and, sure. For sure. And, and what I find amazing about what you're saying is that, you know, you could do this even flying blind, but they're not. I mean, they have a list of, uh, you know, if I had to have a target list over 1,200 maladies in Pfizer's document from February 28th, uh, 2021, that they already identified seem to be associated with the vaccine. And obviously, all the things in VAERS, over 14,000 categories, they know exactly what to look for, where to look for. But I found this very enlightening that you could even um, forensically trace back the cause of some of these cancers. Um, and, and again, there's no desire to do that. Have you or anyone you know done this at a personal level with people who have died as kids or younger? Have you performed any autopsies and have you, could you share anything you've learned uh, from them? I've, I've received tissues from autopsies around the world, actually, just like the, the German studies. Unfortunately, I've been on the road too much recently, but they're sitting on my desk waiting. I have some stains done. I have others pending, but those very studies that um, I've laid out, um, I will have completed in a couple of weeks at my own dime. I'm not getting any funding from any institution or any government agency. 
I'm doing it in the name of science. Now, the patterns I've been seeing, unfortunately, I have a 15-year-old on my desk. I received it right before I flew out the other day for the conference I'm at right now. But I look through the tissues, and are the heart cells swollen? Yes, they are. Is the liver basically shot to all heck? Yes, it is. And this was after this young man's second shot before he collapsed and passed. And and the amount of liver inflammation alone, he could have died from fulminant hepatitis and probably a secondary, what we call portal hypertension after basically having the inability to flow too much blood through that liver. And there's a lot of microclots in that liver. So I'm, I'm already seeing some of the things that we've found in many other papers um, in, in many of these tissues. And I have 30-year-olds, I'm 36-year-old, 15-year-old, 14-year-old um, tissues from, thankfully, a few people that have lived. And, and sadly, you know, we hear about the heart attacks and strokes, but the way that spike gets into blood vessel walls, I have um, one patient deceased and one, thankfully, living because um, they were able to, to help this individual surgically. But it will eat through the aorta wall and cause what, what's called an aortic dissection, which can be deadly very quickly. And in the German cohort, they had, I want to, if I remember correctly, think it was three aortic dissections. And they, the aorta is the big tube that comes off of the top of your heart, and then it takes a curve. Part of the blood goes up to your brain, then it takes a curve and goes down through your abdomen to all your major organs. So it's the big tube where your oxygenated blood is going out. And you get a rip and a tear in that aorta, you can lose your blood volume very quickly and, and pass very quickly. So from several studies, we know that spike protein is depositing and allowing inflammation to just gobble away and chew a hole in the wall of the aorta. So yes, I've, I have many eye autopsies. Um, many, many, you know, there are some of them that it looks like COVID, but they hadn't had COVID, they had a shot. So the pattern of the damage of the spike protein is the same as the disease itself. However, those who get the shot, and, and we've discussed this before, those who get the shot, this synthetic mRNA is persisting in the body. The study by Dr. Rolkin out of uh, Stanford in the journal Cell, this sequence and production of the spike protein is low-grade persistent for months. Her study stopped at 60 days so they could publish, but it doesn't indicate that the spike stops being made at 60 days. It's also made in higher quantity than a natural infection. So in a natural infection, because your body's responding to the whole virus, it'll clear the virus in a, in a week maybe in a healthy individual and maybe two weeks in somebody who's maybe immune compromised. But with this synthetic shot, these individuals are making spike, making spike, making spike. So quantitatively over time, they're making tons more spike. Mm. And so they're chronically exposed to this damaging protein, this toxic protein in any organ system. So wait, wait a minute. This is very important because a lot of people are wondering, you know, what happens with them a year later, two years later. Um, you're answering a you know very important question. You know, people are like, well, you know, why you're you're saying this the spike protein, so then the virus is a problem too. Well, first of all, yeah, the virus is a problem. I mean, they're both gain of function, they're both bioweapons, and and they need to be held accountable for both. It doesn't one doesn't work against the other, and it's not like you could avoid getting it anyway. So it's not like this or that. But your point is okay. It gets one bullet to fire. It enters your 
body the way any pathogen does. So it has to go through that whole panoply of of immune defense. And then, you know, I guess at some point the monocytes, those garbage trucks will usually cart it away. You know, you do have some people have long COVID, but in this case with the shot, you're saying that it's constantly firing indefinitely an unknown amount of spike for an unknown period of time in an unknown number of locations. So that's much harder to defend against. So the question is, you know, I've been on Dan Bongino's show a couple times, and he's getting really scared personally. He told me, like, you know, because he had the shots. He got COVID pretty bad, by the way, after them. They they absolutely don't work, um, not just uh, against infection, but even serious illness. That was a lie, and certainly with the current iterations, they probably get it worse. Um, but I think as far as the shot itself, I don't think he got, you know, you know, got apparent side effects from it. And there's a lot of people like that, you know, okay, regular shot, maybe some soreness in the arm, maybe a little bit of melee's headache. Okay, done. A year later, two years later, is there a concern that you could have microclotting or something else festering? Here's the good news. The, the human body is an amazing thing. So I think there's a large group of people that in spite of all these little insults that this spike can do, their immune system will tune up and just eventually say, okay, we figured out a pattern between our T cells, our, our macrophages, our little garbage truck cells, our dendritic cells, our antibodies, you know, we'll coat it, et cetera. You know, they won't neutralize it now, but there's all these mechanisms where many people that do reasonably take care of their health for whatever reason um, are being able to clear it. And that's, that's the good news. This isn't happening to everybody, thankfully. Now, have the shots been at the level of purity across manufacturing, I think these side effects would be 10 to 20-fold what we're seeing mm. around the world. Re reason being is not every batch is as potent or as densely mixed or the <laughs> same. That's, that's why we're seeing – I mean, this is you know, bad – I mean, bad you're saying GMP, it's basically you know, a bottle of poison, but the only saving grace is that they know that, and, and which is genocidal. They know this, so they didn't make it as potent. I mean, they saw you know, 100 micrograms of Pfizer they knew well, killed the rats. They intended to, yeah. but here's, here's, my, here's my conjecture is they ramped this up to, to, to get a drug to market. In a, in a good, pure manner, usually takes, you know, five, ten years. You and I know Dr. Urso. He's brought FDA drugs to market. To get that good manufacturing process to where it needed to be took almost nine years for the drug he was working on, where, you know, to the point where every batch was pure. Well, they ramped this up at warp speed to a point that there is no guarantee. We knew early on in the pandemic, European Medicines Agency looked at Pfizer and it was 50-ish percent pure. Well, what that tells me is 50% of what's in that vial isn't pure full sequence. So these people got, you know, a half dose of spike-making genes. And in the TGA in Australia, same thing. Certain batches, 40, 50, 60%. So you have a lot of degraded RNA, which can be bad as well. But but. The good news is a lot of people didn't yep. get the full whopping dose. If everybody got each dose at the full amount they were supposed to get, I think we'd be seeing even more side effects. And then the other good news, too, think of all these people that lined up at these, these big shot centers during the panic. Well, these vials weren't sitting at that cold, cold temperature, which for whatever <laughs> rule, that rule went away. 
they're they're probably just getting a jar of mush because by the time <laughs> they got it, they've just got the fatty lipid melted wow. and no no intact RNA. So, so, so that explains the variance. Per- how some people just walked away, and some people as may as well have drunk a, a bottle of lye or something. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So it was really a Russian roulette of what vial you did or didn't get. That that that's absolutely crazy. Um, the way you're you, the way you're explaining this. I want to uh, go on to one one other thing with COVID. Um, since we had you on last, Paxlovid has become ubiquitous. It's become the next big thing, even more than the vaccine to an extent, because they had to admit the vaccine doesn't work. So you know this this uh. Uh, mystical utterance, you know, how they would utter the things in front of the idols, this, these prayers. So now they have to utter a prayer. And, you know, I have four times Jed, but thank God I had Paxlovid, otherwise I would have been dead. So obviously we're finding this rebound effect. So we all, I think our audience understands the shots. They lower the immune system. Um, they they actually don't produce anti-nucleocapsid antibodies, so it's just the spike, so it's narrow, so it seems like you don't have proper memory, so you could continue to get infected multiple times. Um, but what about Paxlovid? Why is it that it causes this rebound? What's the mechanism behind that? And do you have any serious safety concerns like we have about the shots? Yeah, Pax Jokevid. It's it's a joke of a drug. It, it's a one-trick pony. It's a single mechanism drug. It's a protease inhibitor at the three CL protease. So, protease proteases are little scissors. So when the virus assembles itself in your cell, it's one long string, and then a protease is like a little enzyme scissor that goes clip 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 clip. Okay, now all you proteins can now rearrange back into the shape of a virus. So if that little scissor has like a rock put in the, you know, rock, paper, scissors, you put a little rock in the middle of that scissor, now it can't clip. And now those proteins can't assemble back into a virus. So that's what a, a protease and a protease inhibitor is. And, and Paxlovid is a protease inhibitor. It's actually two of them put together, one from an HIV drug from a long time ago that we know had a black box warning, liver toxic, heart toxic, brain toxic. So it's a black box drug. There are 125 drugs that essentially you have to worry about in terms of interactions. So you have to take the patient off just about everything. And this little protease, the 3CL protease, it's the same one that ivermectin binds, but you and I know ivermectin has about 20 other mechanisms. So Paxlovid is a one-trick pony at this 3CL. Now, the other thing you need to consider is when a patient is infected, you don't just have, oh gosh, you know, you have Omicron BA5 or whatever, BA2.75. You have a swarm of viruses because the moment that virus gets in your cells and starts replicating, you have hundreds of different little mutations of that virus. Well, it may block that protease for a hundred copies of little mutated viruses that may be a, you know, BA 2.7513, whatever, all these other, you know, hundreds of little variants that every patient, you know, is mutating in their body when they're infected. So you've blocked some of those. And then the other ones that are now resistant to that protease, those are the ones that proliferate, proliferate in your body. So the reason we're seeing rebound is because, okay, Paxlovid worked, against this couple hundred of little mutations of the virus, your body is cooking and brewing and growing. But the other one said, hey, we know how to get around that. 
That's why you use a sequence multi-drug approach in viral infections. You never use just one drug. And then the other problem, too, is they say, oh, you know, here's our savior Paxlovid. If you don't get it on board, the virus, especially Omicron compared to Delta, compared to Alpha, replicates fast. So in order to inhibit replication of the virus, you have to have whatever drug on board, be it ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, you know, Paxlovid, all these other drugs, you have to have them on board to beat the viral replication phase of the virus. Now, we know that the virus may be inhibited in a couple of body sites, but like in the GI tract and in other parts of the body, it replicates for longer periods of time. That's what that one NIH study showed was for several weeks in several organs in the body, there was still replication-competent virus present. So to do a one-trick pony and you know hundreds of little mutations and variants are always forming in any infected individual, literally billions of copies per day when you're infected, a bunch of those are just going to bypass right around that little one-trick pony. It's like putting a line on the road and saying, there's a gate, don't go over it, and the cows go, well, I'm just going to go right over that. And they go moseying on through the pasture. They're not worried about you putting a sign that says gate. They need a real gate, something that's going to work and block. And, and you know, there may be dumb, dumb cow or two that looks at that line and says, I think that's a gate. I'm not going to cross it. That's that, you know, the, the handful that do respect, you know, the Paxlovid protease inhibition. But the rest of them are going to just wander on through. Now you have this whole new flock or herd or swarm of new variants, subvariants of the virus that you have. Paxlovid doesn't work, and it does allow for so that rebound is a sub-sub variant of the Omicron that patient was infected with that they get a week or two later. And notice that they're sicker, which is fascinating. They're not only sicker because they've got a, a submutated variant in their body, they're also sicker because that Paxlovid inhibits liver pathways. There's a protease in it that affects the liver in a very bad way. Your organs are acutely screaming for help because that protease, that protease inhibitor isn't just hurting the virus, it's hurting your organs. So now you're in a weakened state after that first dose of Paxlovid, and along comes this subvariant that you now brewed, and your organs are like, I don't know what to do. I'm feeling really sick, and now I'm feeling worse because you hurt me with this drug that's harmful to multiple organ systems in the body. It's really an insanity. And, and, and anybody with you know two brain cells that are firing in virology, immunology, pathology, pharmacology is going to say, oh, we, we don't treat viruses with a one-trick pony. We don't do that. It's dumb. So it basically weakens your players on the field and then makes the bad guys battle-hardened, battle-tested. That's kind of what those subvariants are. I like it. And <laughs> yeah, you got it. Exactly I mean, right. Yep. You couldn't know. Again, I mean, it, it just seems like everything they do causes the maximum injury, epidemiologically perpetuates the virus as much as you possibly can. And it's hard to imagine it's not being done on purpose. Um uh, you know, I'm just thinking now, a lot of people are probably wondering, we talked about diagnostics of, of the dead. What about the living? What about people that, okay, so you have some people that didn't phase them, probably got an attenuated dose or maybe it sat out or whatever. Okay. But then you have people that got slammed from it, but maybe not life-threatening, life but man, they really got inflammation. They definitely got something um, that was potent. So if they're concerned that there's organizing microclotting and other problems in their body, if you are king for a day, 
what sort of diagnostics would you, if you had unlimited resources for someone to come in front of you and say, hey, I want to make sure there's something not festering in my body, would it be D-dimers, uh, cardiac MRIs? What sort of things should pe- pe- people seek out if they you know, have the resources to do so? Sure. So the microclots are very difficult to see with any scanning technique. So you do have to look at the blood work. Now, in the acute phase post-shot or post-COVID, checking that D-dimer in those first four weeks or so can be helpful. Now, after that period, what happens is clots tend to stabilize. So the D-dimer is really a measure of the clots breaking down. But once a clot becomes what, what I call more permanentized, where plasminogen isn't going in and causing that fibrin to break, it's harder to tell that the patient has microclots because that D-dimer is going to fade. Not in everybody. I mean, some patients may have an elevated D-dimer for weeks and weeks and weeks on end um, because they may be persistently forming more. So that would be one thing. Uh, Checking just a basic complete blood count where you look at what's the platelet count in that patient is important as well because you can tell whether or not platelets are getting consumed in the body and piling up in these little microclots. So looking at that count would be important as well. There are autoimmune markers that indicate clotting that have been activated by the spike. One we see in a condition called um, antiphospholipid syndrome. So you can look for those antibodies to see if the patient post-COVID is now more inclined to clot. You, you should know whether the patient has underlying genetic uh, predispositions to clotting as well, like factor V Leiden um, disease, uh, things like that. So there, there are several blood measures. And then you can also check uh, what's called an anti-plasmin, uh, anti-plasmin, um, anti-plasmin level in the blood. And that'll indicate your ability to break down clots. So and there's not one any easy way to mm-hmm. see it. Uh, symptomologically is obviously important. Patient has chronic pain in a, in a hand or a foot. You know, is it because of poor circulation? Do they have microclots? Um, then you can do like temperature differential scans in the body externally to see is this toe, is this finger, is this entire, you know, extremity not getting adequate blood flow for a reason. And then some of the bigger clots you can see on ultrasound, and then you can look for where the blockage is in a vessel. There's, there's not any one easy given pathway to look at. Um, again, good news is a lot of people are fine. Bad news is we still don't know which genetic cohort is doing worse. Yep. And, and, you know, again, these young, healthy people that get, again, dose-dependent poison. If you got one, don't get two. If you got two, don't get three. I'm not here to judge. I'm here to teach so that you can prevent harm in your body. For a shot that doesn't even obviously work, you know that, I know that. And they're coming out with bivalent shots this fall. For other extinct variants, this is what's <laughs> insane. So. The UK shot is the ancestral spike and BA1, both extinct in humanity. The <laughs> Pfizer one has the ancestral variant and parts of BA4 and BA5. By this fall in North America, BA5 will be gone. So now they're saying, we want you to get your booster for two viruses that don't exist in humanity anymore. It, it doesn't make any sense. But, well, it you know, does, to, to that because qual- it creates perfect immune <laughs> imprinting in, in, in a way oh, yeah. that will perfectly perpetuate the pandemic and and weaken your immune system in combating that. So it, it just repeats the circuitous cycle of more shots, more Paxlovid, and whatever they throw at you. And we're almost out of time, so I just want to 
I want to get to one more thing because I I've never spoken to you about this and I want I'm dying to know what you think about this. So it really appears that we're repeating the cycle. Uh, well, we're we're not done with the COVID cycle as we said, but at the same time, concurrently starting a new one with monkeypox. So most of our crowd, we kind of laugh at it. Yeah, just don't do the orgies and you'll be fine, which is true, but. It does bother me that I don't think we've ever had 12,000 cases in the U.S. It does seem to be getting around a lot. And what it makes me wonder, okay, how much of this is from uh, the VADs, you know, the the COVID vaccines depleting people's immune system? How much of this is – is this a juiced-up version of monkeypox through perhaps gain of function that we haven't seen? How much of this is – because of the shot. So I, I studied the Gynio shot and I couldn't believe it. Actually, Dr. Kato Bryan, the director of immunization at the WHO, recently said, um, it was a couple days ago, maybe two days ago at a press conference, this is a direct quote, we don't have a substantial amount of information about what their performance is and we know that there's a lot of problems with it. We know that the original smallpox shot had a problem of spreading. Who's to say that the shot is not going to spread the pathogen or at least create this original antigenic sin dynamic. In other words, how do we know that we're not repeating the same cycle of COVID, or is this just kind of a gay orgy thing? Well, it's, again, this false religion of scientism. We're going to try this thing because we hope it's going to work with no evidence that it does. And, and Genios, to your point, is a smallpox shot, and it's supposedly you know, a weakened replication incompetent virus. But when that combines with live virus in the body, you can get recombination events to where now you can, and, and we've seen this in polio for years in Africa, where a patient gets a live weakened or attenuated weakened um, virus, and then it recombines with active virus and, and, and becomes a new virus and a new active disease. So that's a big potential with these, this Genios, you know, pseudo-similar orthopox vaccine. It's in the same family, but it's not, the, it's not two monkeypox. So just like the COVID shots didn't cover the variants of COVID, there's no guarantee that this shot's going to do so for monkeypox. And, and to, you know, to allay the fears of most people, if you don't engage in those high-risk activities, your chance of getting monkeypox are about nil. And then the other point that you bring up is very important. 41% of individuals that are currently infected with monkeypox are HIV positive. Now, I also conjecture, and this would be a very easy epidemiologic study. We have, what, 30,000 people in the world right now with monkeypox. Very easy to ask all of them, did you have yes. one, two, three, or four COVID shots? And then that data should be completely transparent and to the public. Gosh, these individuals that yep. are infected seem to be immune suppressed because they got three COVID shots. I don't know that. I'm just saying. You don't know that, but AIDS, VADS, you know, do, is there a similar very pattern probable. there? And I think very what probable. we can conjecture. It's funny, I can't do this scientifically, but I can do it politically. I think political science does help us a little bit here that, I mean, it's it's known, I mean, this is well known, that if the overwhelming majority engage in, in that, you know, homosexual activity, typically, you know, the, especially when it comes to boosters, uh, because originally no one really realized and they were all scared into getting it, it really does follow along ideological lines. So you would it imagine <laughs> it would it would align closely with that. It's, it's um, 
you know, be be interesting to see if there's anyone who didn't get the shots. But certainly, I think based on just politically, um, overwhelming majority would have had a probability. Yeah. yeah, at least three. Um, wow, where, where could people find more about your work? So I guess we have the Global COVID Summit website. Yeah, globalcovidsummit.org. Um, they can follow me personally at r the letter r colemd.com, and then I'll be transferring a bunch of that information over. We're building a new website uh, for decentralized medicine, D-E-M-E-D.com, dmed.com. And D-med. it'll be a source of... D-med, is in the military, the military system. Yeah, a little, <laughs> it's the same concept, but, you know, we're actually not going to hide the data. We're actually going <laughs> forth, and, and we're never going to take a penny from pharma. Our goal is to get science, scientific articles, scientific information out to the public, in a very informative, interactive, there are forums there. People will get to interact with Dr. Cole, Dr. Malone, Dr. Ursa, Dr. You know, all doctors around the world that are these freedom doctors that we have nothing to hide. We're here to share scientific information for your health and wellness. So our goal is to, you know, compete against all these other evergreen websites that are funded by pharma. You know, you go and say, well, how do I understand this disease? And you'll get the pharma angle on it from all those other websites. Our goal is, here's your approach from, you know, allopathic medicine. Here's your approach from natural medicine. Here's your approach from traditional medicines like Chinese medicine. Here's your approach from, you know, all four or five, ten points of view so that you can be fully informed in one location without having now we're building it right now so be patient but there will be articles popping there you'll see it at first at globalcovidsummit.org and then if you go to um, if you go to dmed.com right now it'll bounce you to um, a a media partner um, roundtable.io but shortly you'll start seeing you know the inklings of it starting to come out and I think people are going to be very happy with it because to this whole pandemic people go well where, where do I get the information where do I find these papers well, we're going to try to be that source for, for wow. humanity. That's what we need. Informed, enlightened consent, making Nuremberg great again. Life, liberty, property. The number one thing is life. And this is literally the right to live. And, uh, you know, whether they do it through mandate or just a lack of, lack of enlightened consent, people don't know what to do. And that's why we spend so much time on this. Thank you for offering us, as always, your generous time. I know you got to go. I got to run back to the kids. Please keep us updated on the results of some of these, uh, you know, tissue scans you do. We really want to know more about this. Uh, and thanks for what you do, folks. We are out of time. Till next week, God bless you all. And thank you for listening. Thank you.